Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us again here on the Formulas of One Jackass podcast. And um, it's uh, we're in the middle of the triple header. We have just um, been to Belgium, or rather, the cars were in Belgium and they did about two laps. Um, so we'll briefly talk about that, and then um, we'll head off to the Netherlands to Zandvoort. Joining me, as always, is it's Christopher here, and it is now Friday. We've had the first two practice sessions. So sorry for the delay and not having something up straight after the Belgian Grand Prix, but there wasn't much to talk about. We'll just talk about it briefly here, a couple of things, and then, uh, yeah, like Ryan said, straight into a preview of the Dutch Grand Prix. And now we've watched FP1, we have a little bit of, you know, some track action we've seen, so some interesting uh, observations. So hope you guys will enjoy. Well, um, I must say, though, the Saturday was amazing absolutely uh, saturdays in formula one is one of my favorite times of, of the of the complete simply because the fuel comes out you know they don't have to worry about tire uh preservation conservation whatsoever it is just flat out go the fastest the car and the driver can go and with the rain this year uh it made it even more exciting and, and entertaining simply because we have the track Spa-Francorchamps, which is the longest track, but also one of the most challenging and difficult in the world. Add a bit of rain to that, which, you know, can always happen at Spa. It is in the Ardennes, it is in the mountains. And even though it's August time, you know, you can expect a shower or so. Uh, we saw showers all day long for three days straight. So we had a fantastic qualifying session, did we not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was crazy, you know. Um, and just like... You mentioned earlier how Williams should take more risks in qualifying, for instance. That's what they did for this race, and it really paid off. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we, we spoke about this uh, during the podcast. We were reviewing the Hungarian Grand Prix, and he said, you know, in, in times past, um, some of the backmarker teams would take an alternate strategy uh, in the hope of getting something. And right, uh, right at Spa, at the Belgian Grand Prix, we saw Williams doing exactly that. Uh, starting the session on the intermediate where everyone else was on the wet and just really pushing it, of course. Also, um, setting up their car for wet weather conditions from the from the outset. So it, it was a fantastic weekend for Williams. Yeah, I mean, um, let's let's stay in qualifying. Uh, the results ended up being um, let's see, Nicolas Latifi qualifying um, where again in the top in the top ten or he not? ended up in Latifi twelfth. Yeah, but he ended up starting ninth. Correct. Started ninth or tenth or something like that yeah, because yeah. of penalties, etc. But yeah, Williams did absolutely what, yeah, was perfect for them to do, you know. And Russell, like you said, was out on the intermediates, testing the limits, taking different lines, and that really paid off. Watching his lap was really spectacular. It's literally just at the very end where Verstappen pips him, where George maybe have taken it a bit, you know, uh, cautious, and no one really got a good grip on the track except for maybe Norris as well. So, yeah, amazing result and changeable conditions, going out, risking, seeing how the conditions are, knowing that this is a chance that might not come again in the season, and they took it. So, bravo to them. They really, you know, they really took advantage of the situation, which they should. Um, but, yeah, should we talk a bit about Norris as well? Because we did talk about him in the last episode that we were expecting something good from him um, this race. And, yeah, he was on he was on a streak. I, I think him... Verstappen and Russell were on a different level that weekend, right? Um, 
absolutely yeah. I, we we predicted him to do well and then uh first practice sessions like he was there but not about yeah. but then come saturday he was the man to beat for pole position i think absolutely. Uh, had he um had he stayed on track had he finished his sessions he could have been like well 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 in contention for getting that pole yeah in, in those conditions because he was he was out of this world the way um, he was driving over was, the curbs yeah. for instance you know he was taking so much risk and really like forcing the car through the corners and it worked out like he took these risks and it worked out he had to be precise every time and he really did it and then going up at a whoosh so we watched it together right um yeah because i was just thinking just before he was going up a whoosh i was just thinking be careful i didn't want to say it out loud to jinx it and then he goes up a whoosh and then we see a car spinning coming out of a whoosh completely destroyed and we talked about last episode as well the dangers of this track um and that is exactly the barrier i was referring to that it throws the cars back on track you know so very unfortunate for for norris i think he could have sat put it on pole and gotten those 12 and a half points that they were awarded in the end but uh yeah he still keeps third in the championship anyway um so good result but a shame because i think we could have really seen something spectacular from him that weekend and i think had the race gone on even in dry conditions he might have had a good chance of the win Absolutely. So from one uh, British driver, young British driver, I should say, um, that had a, a good start to the weekend, but not a good finish to the weekend. We go to the other young British driver that had a good start to the weekend and uh, ended up having an excellent finish of the weekend. Uh, George Russell f- starting the Grand Prix from second place ended up finishing the Grand Prix in second place simply because there was no racing at uh, the Belgian Grand Prix. Because mm-hmm. of the weather conditions, uh, we had red flag, or rather a red flag for three and a half hours. Um, yeah. I know I counted every minute. I was just, you know, in front of the television. And I don't know about you, but me, I'm too scared. Was consumed. <laughs> yeah, I, like I'm too scared to either put it on another channel in case, you know, exactly. so it comes back on. So like many a time in my life, have I just watched through the entire red flag period and so many races come to mind, but the one that comes to mind, I think it was the Canadian company in 2011. Fantastic, yeah. crazy race as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I kept watching and because of time difference, it was, a, in, it was a huge, huge commitment mm-hmm. uh, at, at that time. True. So, like I kept watching, but you know, especially this this season, you do not want to miss anything. Uh, it can yeah. change just like that. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, no racing at uh, Spa Francorchamps this year. Doing it, two laps behind the safety car uh, and half points being awarded. Yeah, it felt like when you get popcorn and you finish all the popcorn before the movie starts in the cinema, and you're watching the movie trailers, and you never got to see the movie. That's how this this felt like on Sunday. And it's really unfortunate because I finished all my snacks, all the <laughs> consumables were consumed. And uh, yeah, that was a shame without a race. But uh, uh, we had lots to talk about anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but, anyway, but I mean, we can let's 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 start at the beginning of the race and on mm-hmm. the on the lap on the lap to the grid, Sergio Perez spins off. Yeah. And my initial reaction was. Yes, it's wet, mm-hmm. but come on. This is like the rookiest of rookiest mistakes. Uh, 
It's yeah, but you saw how he one went off. It was it was so little. Like he was literally just a little bit on the curb, taking it slow, and the car just just lose the grip, and then in the wall. Like I think he was just very unlucky there. It could have happened to anyone, really. I mean, we saw it with Verstappen as well last year, right in Hungary. They managed to fix the car. That's true, but uh, at at this critical stage of of the championship, you know, every point will count, and to of course, no one ended up racing, but people ended up getting points. And Sergio Perez would have gotten points had he just made it to the grid. Uh, it's it's the simplest of things. True. There's just, you know, system checks. And number one is get the car to the grid. Yeah. So it's it, it's unfortunate. Like you said, it's tricky conditions and uh, and such. But, you know, as, as a team, as a Formula One team, you want both cars finishing in the points always of course but it wasn't like he was taking any risks you know it was simply just the conditions were that bad and there's a reason the race wasn't i would say i would say 19 other drivers made it through completely fine before and after him so is it just like one particular cloud (laughs) that that um had a monsoon type of rain no but it could be you you're coming out of the long straight camel straight you're lifting off the corner you're turning in and maybe in just that moment your tire hits the top of the curb while the weight is shifting in the car and then it's but the it's wet you stay off the curbs yeah but it's wet you well, stay that's off how the norris curbs got the and quickest it's, it's time. On... that's how norris yeah was but so this is this yeah, is not time this is only but going to the grid so it's just it, it's 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 unnecessary it wasn't a silly mistake i in my opinion it was not a silly mistake he was literally just a passenger once that happened like it it seemed unpredictable how it just beard off the track so i wouldn't i wouldn't really put it down on him to be honest it's yeah there's a reason they didn't start the race because it was just that difficult fair enough uh but what it did remind me of um you know it, it came back to fuji 2007 for yeah me. similar conditions that's true yeah that that was heavy monsoon yeah. red flag for the for the ages but uh uh, but actually, we raced there, and we had some crazy, crazy accidents um, there as well. Uh, a young rookie, Sebastian Vettel, actually not rookie because he already had his Grand Prix, but uh, crashing into the back of Mark Webber yep. uh, the, the season before he went to Red Bull. Yeah. And in fact, um, two drivers were interviewed uh, in the in the build-up to the Dutch Grand Prix, Alonso and Vettel, talking about Spa and the conditions. Firstly, uh, and both of these gentlemen have driven in that race, uh, along with Kimi Raikkonen, so they know these conditions as well. The difference as to why they didn't race, which they completely agreed with um, for safety aspect, but they said because of the ground effect cars, because of the downforce generated by these cars today, it produces a lot of, a lot of spray. Uh, and they didn't race not for safety issue, but simply because of visibility. Yeah, exactly. They couldn't see anything. So yeah. um, the track conditions were okay to drive and race in. They just couldn't see. The track conditions were borderline. They were borderline. Yeah, fair enough. But they also said tires, though. Yeah. They they said these tires, these extreme wets, have different characteristics than the tire manufacturer that they use in that Fuji Grand Prix. So it was also just not possible to to truly safely race true absolutely it was not possible and you know the air was like the rain was just lingering in the air like you saw the spray come up and it was just stick there and then you know 
yeah, they, they brought out some trucks to try and dry it, but, you know, it was too little too late. F fair play that they tried, but, yeah, it, it, it was not possible to race. And a lot of fans were, of course, upset because, you know, they spent a lot of money coming to this race. Some people had said this was the last time they were going to watch Kimi race at Spa, so they had, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. booked an all-out experience, and I feel so sorry for them. And there hasn't been good communications from the organizers about what to do with refunds. And then Hamilton was interviewed after the race and said that he felt really sorry for the fans. And I thought he would stop it at that. But then he went a bit further and said they should all have a refund. And I thought that was really interesting how he just doesn't care and really felt for the fans. And now today he's just posted on uh, Instagram, I think it is, that to all the fans that have been there, if they post like a, a receipt of their ticket, etc., and send it to him, uh, that he would send a special email to them. So he's taking it up in his own hands to you know, help out these fans, with it, which I think is amazing. And, of course, it's rain, so it's not like the organizers can, can do something against that. But it is just unfortunate because F1 is so expensive to go see. You know, there's a reason mm -hmm. I haven't been to a Grand Prix yet. So, yeah, there, there should be a solution there. And I think it's great that Lewis, he took it upon himself to do something here. But, yeah, let's hope that the organizers can, can find a solution to them anyway. I agree. Uh, I think... Uh, I forgot who who said it, but uh, the difference between the Grand Prix, the, the, the Belgian Grand Prix this year versus last year is last year we had a race with no fans. This year we had a fans with no race. Yeah. So that's exactly it. I, I do understand the heartbreak it would be for the fans, especially the, the, the kids, you know, going to a race, seeing their heroes and not seeing any action. Uh, on the other hand, there's not much that anyone can do about weather. No, um, you but know? F1 should have like it's, a it's pool of, of money that, you know, each year there's a guarantee there might be a wet weather race and there might be a race that get cancelled. So just have a pool of money ready for that in case of refunds and then they can step in because the last thing you want to do is deter people to come to an F1 race. You want this, you want more people to come to the races. You want more people to enjoy F1 and uh, they kind of need to build that up because if no one gets a refund think, officially, then, you know. I agree. It's it's one of the options, even more so. I think that the FIA Formula One needs to have a contingency plan of this happening. So yeah, we have exactly. contingency plans for qualifying mm -hmm. that should qualifying not be able to get, go ahead on the Saturday. It can be done on the Sunday morning. But what if the race can't go on on a Sunday? And we've had many instances of this occurring over the last couple of years. Sometimes we ended up racing just for the sake of having a race. There are some races that were borderline dangerous. What comes to mind is uh, the Korean Grand Prix one one year where it's just completely yeah. dark towards yeah, the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what if a race cannot happen on the Sunday? And then they said, okay, in America, for example, they don't do qualifying uh, or any racing in, in the wet yeah. in, uh, in NASCAR. So should the race not go ahead on Sunday, they can do it on the Monday. So my question is, yeah. yes, I understand the, the difficulties in organizing in, in, in charge. Well, we have to remember one of the most important people you know, at a Grand Prix are the marshals yes. at the track yes. for safety reasons. And all of these people, all of these heroes are volunteers. Yep. They're not being paid to do so. Yep. So difficulty is that organizing marshals at the track on a on a Monday when people have to work, where people would perhaps lose pay to attend the race on Monday. Yes, there is difficulty in that. But then they came with all logistical reasons. It's just like, well, 
yes, the next race is in the Netherlands. Uh, all the trucks arrive the next day. And it's not like planning completely goes out of whack simply because they have an extra day of building up the, the motorhomes and such. You know, this is a multi-billion dollar industry per year that generates money, that takes a lot of money from the fans as well. What we expect in return is a race. And go make that happen, the people with the money and the people with the regulations. I agree. It's the people with the money and the regulations, yeah, they should should do everything to try and fix it. And it shouldn't be on the hands of everyone else that has to fix these kind of things. But at the end of the day, like I just said, like it's going to be a massive logistical nightmare. So it's not just something you just say, okay, we're going to have a race on Monday, right? If we have qualifying on Sunday morning because qualifying couldn't be run on Saturday, everyone's still going to be there. You're not just going to expect like it's 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 a logistical nightmare. I can't I can't even like start to begin thinking about. Okay, but well, before this goes into an old man rant, yeah, exactly. This is like an old <laughs> let's, man discussion. Let's 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 have it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is why I didn't laps, want to talk too laps, much about the Belgian okay. Grand Prix. <laughs> two laps uh, behind the safety car meant that half points were awarded um, to to everyone who was on track. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? Um, well. It means that we have half points awarded. So we're going to have a half point championship, which is classic Formula One as well. So the 1984 uh, Formula One season was decided by half a point at the end of the season. So Nicky Lauda winning from his teammate Alain Post by half a point. And it just goes to show uh, how significant this could be this season at the end of the season. In 1984, Alain Post won the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, but that race didn't reach 75% uh, lap distance, so only half points were awarded. Um, and yeah, had Alain Post won that race and gotten four points, he would have easily won that championship. So especially when things are so tight this year as well, it just it's very fitting that we have a half-point championship as yeah. well. Just to talk about that 1984 thing that's really interesting is that Alain Post wanted the race red-flagged while he was in the lead. Senna overtook, thought he had won, but they only got awarded half points, blah, blah, blah. Balesta called it off, whatever. So the Frenchies wanted to kind of, you know, help Post. That's the conspiracy anyway. But at the end of the day, because they did that, he only got half points, right? So, yeah. If the race had gone on full length and Senna had won and Post had come second, Post would have been champion that year instead of, you know, finishing it in the lead and just getting half points. But, yeah. That's it, but it, it, it it just uh, adds, of course, to one of the greatest rivalries of, 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 of all time in Formula One. Um, lots of people interpret that as a as a post versus Senna race. Um, but actually, looking back at it, analyzing it, and I have actually having watched the race a couple of times myself, I think Stefan Belloff would have won. He was, he was uh, catching he was on it as well. Senna. Yeah. He was catching Senna. Yeah. He was way faster than Post. So had the had the race been full distance, I think Stefan Belloff would have walked away with the victory and not Alan, uh, and not uh, Ayrton yeah. Senna. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's 84. Um, Back to 2021. Nicky Lauda. No, I was actually going to make this bridge. Nicky Lauda in the McLaren. Uh, 84. Yeah. 1985. Nicky Lauda in the McLaren being the last winner of the Dutch Grand Prix ah. that was last held in 1985. So Formula One returns to the Netherlands. And even saying those words, I still have disbelief within myself. You know, growing up, uh, being a Formula One fan, 
Um, only in my wildest dreams could I have imagined that we would have a, a race winning Dutch driver. We would have a, a championship contender and have a Grand Prix in that country. It's just mind blowing. I wish this was everyone something... could see your smile right now because like, <laughs> you're beaming, man. No, because this was absolutely unimaginable, even you know a couple of years ago. Well, not a couple of years ago, of course. Once Max came on the scene and you know had that race victory in Barcelona, everything just you know started in motion. It, like it makes sense to have a race here. I mean, the, we saw the same Alonso mania when Alonso came to came to prominence and became a championship contender. So. But even, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you would have asked every Dutch Formula One fan and asked them, do you think we'll have a company in the Netherlands? And everyone would have said 100% no. It just wasn't yeah, possible. I mean, but I, yeah. Go ahead. I remember, no, so I, I remember when I was younger as well, you know, reading about Sandford and it's a legendary track and how there's like Formula Three there and. For the longest time, they were trying to bring it back, even before Verstappen. I remember there was like little talks here and there, and it was always like an impossible project. It'll never be able to get grade one certification. And mm -hmm. now we're here, we're at Sanford, and it's the first time I see it in, you know, on TV, in <laughs> F1, like it's like, like you said, 1985, but it feels like we're back, you know, like this is, yeah. Why hasn't F1 been here in the longest time? It feels familiar. And just seeing the sea and the Dutch fans, like the Dutch fans are, that's new to F1, like in the recent years, you know, how passionate they are. We've, we've had nothing to, to party about yeah, in Formula true. 1. And now it's just absolutely. I mean, we used to, we used to party, we used to party if Jos ended up in the gravel. Exactly. Uh, that was our reason to party because it's like, yes, uh, he did it again. Of course, Jos Verstappen, being an excellent driver himself, actually, towards the end of the career, just had the... The, the misfortune of always being in the car that is one of the slowest of the grid so not really um being able to show off his his true talent but his talent was recognized through yeah by he, everyone he had his, panel, he had his flashes know? he's just nowhere near a complete driver as max is for instance or you know yeah um, but i mean credit were. to jos verstappen mm. you know after his career yes he did a bit of racing here and there but while you know he could have still continued his racing career at one point, he just says, no, I'm going to focus all of my intentions, uh, uh, attention and effort on my son, yep. who was just starting go-karting then. So we see the results of that. Um, but but yeah, going back to the fact that there's a Gumphy in the Netherlands is still insane. Um, we mentioned, you know, all these tracks, Spa, Zandvoort, uh, Monza being steeped in Formula 1 history. Um, it goes back a very long time, so... Zandvoort is actually the fourth oldest circuit on the Formula One calendar. First hosting its race in, in uh, 52. And we've had much like uh, Hockenheim, much like Spa, much like Monaco, a lot of redesigns of the track over the years, simply because um, the old track was way too fast and way too dangerous. Yep. The track is still fast. It's, you know, here and there, it's can still be dangerous but of course in the 70s in the 80s formula one drivers were dying like one in four uh so yes it, it made sense that the formula one um yeah formula one outgrew zandvoort 
in 80, 85, you know, we had massive turbo engines then, uh, slick tires and, and, and gasoline that was just like rocket fuel and, and lit up. So back then, yeah, it made sense. But also in the meantime, the circuits changed. It, it went, you know, had revisions. It, it was way smaller. They went bankrupt several times, uh, changing owners. So um, to me, uh, a couple of years ago, they stopped doing the Formula 3 Masters as well at Zandvoort. There's just nothing. Uh, whereas this was the most prestigious race in Formula 3 uh, since, you know, the 80s, the 90s. Every great Formula 1 driver, um, apart from this generation, has raced and won at Zandvoort. Yep. Uh, I myself watched Valtteri Bottas win yeah. uh, Formula 3 at Zandvoort. And Sebastian Vettel was there doing a demo in his Red Bull. Damn. So to... You know, so I've been there. I know the smells. I know, you know, the sounds. But again, that was a Formula 3 race. Yes, there was a Formula 1 car demo, but it's not a Grand Prix, you know? So that, yeah. that I don't know, different atmosphere, different vibe. I, I'm still watching in disbelief. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think, it, I think it will be a track that stays on the calendar. Like, they, they should sort it out if there are any issues with the track because... They look spectacular cars. And funny you just mentioned because the old Sandford, just like Spa, it's a, the old Sandford was a mini version of old Spa. And the newer Sandford is a little bit of a mini version of Spa in that sense. Um, and it's interesting that they then said they wanted to make it safer. And then they could go to Hungary, but they couldn't go to Sandford, even though if they went both, if both had the same layout as they have now and they were in the 80s, there would be a no-brainer. They could race on both, you know. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that it just kind of died out and the old Sanford track is absolutely amazing but yeah crazy crazy track a little bit like yeah also a bit about uh, the Nordschleife it has that you know but seeing seeing those cars now like I'm a bit sad the cars are too big for this track I feel and yeah, like yeah, a, a couple wide. of years ago it wouldn't have been like that um, but you really you could really sense it here but the cambered corners and how you saw the different lines through not just in F1 but in F3 as well especially turn three mm. like absolutely insane and the G meter when they're going through like the first uh, first half of the track it's literally just going from 5G to the left 5G to the to the right 6G is here and up and down and yeah it looks spectacular Lewis as well saying like he hadn't he couldn't remember the track fully from last time he drove it he probably hasn't dr driven it in games either or whatever but once he was back, he immediately remembered and all the sensations and how much he loved that sensation here because it's such a such a fun track to drive. I mean, we've spoken about Tilke Drums before uh, and the newer sort of generation of, of, of Grand Prix we're having, which is mainly, you know, street tracks and um, airplane runways, uh, airport runways, the, the, the width of it, uh, entire long straight. So this is the complete opposite of that, yes? It was revamped. So um, at two sections of the track, they put in banking um, and quite significant banking. Uh, once you see how, how steep it actually is, uh, at one point it's 32%, uh, 18 degree, um, how do you say that? Incline. Incline, incline, exactly. Which, which is which is almost like IndyCar level, you know, them racing on the oval. Yeah, yeah. They, they need to have banking, especially at Indianapolis. It's, it's more so, than Indianapolis, by the way, the banking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it like all these things were put in in order to suit the modern-day Formula 1 car. Originally, uh, especially the, the final corner, named after uh, 
Ari Leyendijk, the, the IndyCar racer, um, to be able for the cars to have DRS open throughout that whole uh, curve. But uh, before the weekend, the FIA announced that DRS will only be opened um, after that curve. Yeah, so yeah. On the straight. Makes the sense. whole... Uh, but um, yeah, the whole circuit was designed with the Formula One um, vehicle performance team, you know. So they did all the simulations, and according to all the simulations, it should be fine to use DRS. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it curve. would be fine. It would be fine. And they did the whole reason they did that was in for uh, yeah attempting to increase the chances of overtaking um, at the end of the start finish because it's not it's not that long of a start finish straight. Yeah. Uh, and Zandvoort is, you know, it's it's narrow, so it's notoriously difficult to overtake there. So I would, I would liken it to Hungary, actually. Exactly. Um, where it's just relentless corner after corner after corner. The difference being, Hungary being medium speed, this is high speed. Yeah. And some of the corners are are just so fast, and and you have everything there, undulation, and you just don't have a break. So. Yes, much like we talked about in, in Hungary, it's just corner after corner after corridor, which is physically draining because you don't really have a very long straight as you would have in, in Spa, for example, or uh, or even uh, Suzuka has a bit of a straight where they can have a breather. Um, similar to Hungary, but again, Hungary doesn't have those high-speed corners. Uh, it is high downforce as well. So it's, um, yeah, the drivers seem to enjoy it. Uh they 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 can't wait for Saturday actually, when it's just going to be low fuel, uh, destroy the tires, maximum downforce, and and they say it's like it's it's old school, you know they're going to need some big balls in order to just nail that lap, and the walls are very close. We have gravel, we have grass, you know we don't have Lots of gravel airports of runway, um of of uh yeah next to the track where. Um, should something go wrong, they have space to, you know, arrest their motion, yeah. uh, momentum. No, here there's walls. You know, it's 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 old school. Dangerous, yes. So if something does go wrong in the final corner, it can go quite wrong. You know, so hopefully everything stays safe. Um, but yeah, it's 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 still Zanford. You know, yep. there's still that element of 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 challenge and 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 danger always. Yeah. And they installed the safer barriers that they have on the oval courses in America as well. So that would be very interesting to see. And that will definitely be something I would want to see more of in, in F1, I think. And the last corner, you know, the banking as well. It's 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 a big banking and they come over a bump at the end. And absolutely, they could have it open, uh, DRS open there. But yeah, it's just a little bit of an added risk that's not necessary. So I think it's better to play it safe. Remember in 2011 when DRS was first introduced, you could use it in qualifying wherever you wanted on the track. And I'm sure if that yeah. was still the case, everyone would have opened the DRS the moment they flicked to the right and their full throttle, they could already open it and the car would still stick. But, you know, there might be little differences in the balance, you know, a certain shift in the, in the balance to, towards the rear could, you know, make you slide there's a bigger chance you'll slide and then hit the barrier so yeah it makes sense and yeah the straight is not long so there might not be too many overtaking opportunities but i think it's a it's a really interesting track anyway and something that yeah we haven't really seen in f1 because it's like a classic track uh but it's new 
So, you know, it's not like a super modern new track coming back. It's a little bit like when we saw Mugello, uh, Imola, um, those kind of tracks come back into the calendar. But this is just more compact, more high speed. So it's like if you took Spa and you had to pack it in to a tiny, tiny form factor and say you have the area of the size of the Hungarian Grand Prix, make a track as, as quick as Spa, and then that's what they did. Um, so, yeah, I think the, tr the driver is going to be very tired after this race. Well, not only that, I would also have to say, you know, the atmosphere around it. Like you have to imagine, the entire circuit is not is not large. You know, the, you can see pretty much from one point, uh, all much of the circuits. So almost all of the circuits, and some of these, um, uh, for example, Suzuka, even though it's a figure of eight. The opposite ends are quite far away from each yeah. other, you know, because it's on a massive piece of yeah, land, yeah, yeah. and land is very scarce. Monza as well, for instance. So yeah, so um, with that, of course, come the grandstands and come the fans, and the fans are very close to the track as well. And because it's you know it is quite hilly, you know there is undulation. It seems like the racetrack is in a valley, so the fans are so close by and so on top of it dressed in orange, drinking Heineken, you know, you know you're going to have an atmosphere. Uh, much like at football stadiums, you know, you have a, um, a home and away tie, you know, playing in front of home fans. And some stadiums around the world, the away uh, leg is just so much harder simply because when the home fans are cheering against you, um, it does create a buzz for the home team playing. And it is intimidating for the away team. So the same thing we can expect here in the Netherlands. You know, um, people have issue with booing or clapping when someone goes out. I say it's part of sports, you know. There's a reason why we support teams. Of course, don't get me wrong. You know, sportive cheering and sportive, you know, booing, not racism whatsoever. But um, not necessarily the booing, but the cheering if, if Hamilton engine blows... That's part of supporting yeah, your driver. Absolutely. You know, he is the rival. Yeah, no, that's so that's to fine. have that atmosphere as well just intensifies the pressure for some of the drivers. Uh, some are very cool; others feed off of it, and other drivers crack under pressure. So we have that added element to the race as well. Um, Dutch fans are very passionate. They're very passionate about motorsport. Uh, I was uh, at an event, nearly a hundred thousand people for just a demo run with uh, Fernando Alonso with his ING-sponsored Renault back in the day uh, in, in Rotterdam. So when I saw the crowds there, I was just like, yeah, it would make sense to have a race in this country if so so many people came just to see a demo Absolutely. of a Formula One car. So now all these people get to have an actual race. Yep. It's fantastic. It's a no-brainer. Um, I'm glad we're back. It was just like, yeah, I'm glad they fixed it because there was talk about where it should be. Can Zanford even handle it? And I'm glad they just tried to do it and did it because it, it should have been on the calendar a bit earlier if i have to be honest you know especially with verstappen and all that but now we're here and it's great no and but doesn't it doesn't isn't it so wonderful that we're going to the netherlands in the year where he's fighting for the championship yeah, exactly i mean if we went there two years ago where it's just like yep it's going to be a hamilton chewing race uh, is that going to excite the dutch crowd 
where mm. they know that the maximum result for Verstappen is going to be third. Yeah. They're going to be cheering. Oh, I mean, they're still going to go wild, yeah. but they're going to be going even wilder if they know he's in contention for the win. If he wins there and you're going to hear the national anthem on the podium, you're going to see a lot of tears, a lot of beer being flung and a lot of noise, a lot of flares. Yeah. And that's, that's something you don't often see no. in, in, but it would one. be cool to see Lewis yeah. win just to see him with the shot point. <laughs> yeah, but uh, oh, man, that's, the Dutch that's fans, they, they, the they are a bit like they, they do get very bitter. Uh, and, and that's like the booing, I think, is just cheap. Like you can cheer if they're out of the race. Don't cheer if they crash and it looks nasty. But the booing cheapens it. And I think F1 is not that kind of sport. And it's just a bit it just leaves everyone with a bit of a bad taste in their mouth, you know. So whatever happens, I hope, you know, it'll be good. And if Lewis wins um yeah i think i but think lewis will just the, feed off it even more so the, the booing has been in the media quite quite a lot recently but booing is not a new phenomenon uh phenomenon within formula one no it's you know recently it happened to vettel you know it, it's been happening since the start yeah but there's a little difference so, here there's a little difference because with vettel it was because he was doing controversial shit so it was you know basically after the multi-21 thing wherever he went there was a lot of booing also because he was very dominant that was kind of different here it's specifically you know dutch fans against lewis and i i think most of them are not booing because of racism or whatever but it is just it's a little bit different. There's a person now that has a target on him when he comes to the Netherlands or any other track where there are lots of Dutch fans, for instance. So, yeah. But it's that's a little part bit of different. sport. Yeah. That's part of sports. I mean, keep it keep it respectful. No, but it's also, it's only but just sport, it, guys. Come on. It's not, it's not, you know, it's just sport. Let's not, let's not delve into tribalism again like we see in so many other sports. Like it's politics as well. It doesn't have to be that. We can like every driver on the grid and just have a good race, right? So next weekend, you know, I'll, I'll take Christopher to a tattoo shop and he's already going to to have it tattooed on him, uh, you know, uh, Max 2021. Ah, uh, fuck off. <laughs> and I'm going to get Lando 2022. No, no, I will get Lando 2022. And I said it first. <laughs> I said it first. Fair enough. Anyways, it, it, it does sound like the point of no return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that, we shall wrap up it's uh, Friday. this this one. Yeah. So uh, we shall be back this time shortly after the race mm -hmm. um, um, because it has been long and our apologies for that. I hope it was worth the wait. Uh, not that we had much to talk about in Belgium, but I hope you uh, enjoyed the episode nonetheless. Um, one final thing for me is as well as our social media you can actually also send us voice messages via um, Anchor oh. so wherever you listen to this podcast from uh, be that Spotify or other platforms um, you can use that platform to send us a voice message uh, to us on Anchor and who knows if we are technologically savvy enough uh, we can play that during the podcast and answer or answer your questions or comments that would be cool. comment. yeah so send those in we'd love to uh, receive some uh any final things from you ferrari looked quick in practice uh which i don't think is a surprise you know they're good on these kind of um twisty tight tracks in a way so i think that would be interesting uh verstappen is on it but i also think lewis is really fueled up and um we could have a really exciting qualifying session and lots of drama during the race um so yeah can't wait yeah, so I think uh, Saturday will be massively important. Uh, Monaco-esque, actually. Ocon we're going to see quick as well. 
yeah, we're going to see drivers on the limit on that Saturday, knowing that a good starting position will be vital for the race on, on, on Sunday. But uh, yeah, this track, these cars, these drivers were, were waiting and all. And uh, when that happens, we shall return. In the meantime, before, after, and during the race, keep washing those hands. Keep washing them hands. Bye-bye.